Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Welcome to episode 160 with my guest, Joy, and the topic of being a parent of a mentally ill child. This episode is sponsored by NatureBox, which I love, a monthly subscription service that delivers better snacks straight to you. Not just any snacks, the real deal. No high fructose corn syrup, no hydrogenated oils, no artificial flavors or colors, smarter snacks. Visit naturebox.com slash happy hour to get 50% off your first box. Again, naturebox.com slash happy hour. I'm Paul Gilmartin. This is the Mental Illness Happy Hour. An hour or two, closer to two, of honesty about all the battles in our heads from medically diagnosed conditions, past traumas, and sexual dysfunction to everyday compulsive negative thinking. The show is not meant to be a substitute for professional mental counseling. I always have trouble saying the word professional mental counseling. It's not a doctor's office. I'm not a therapist. It's more like a waiting room that doesn't suck. The website for this show is mentalpod.com. Please go there, check it out, read blogs, get updates on what uh, what I'm doing if I'm speaking somewhere. As a matter of fact, I am speaking somewhere. Um, Tuesday, March 25th, uh, I am going to be speaking at the uh, uh, Lassen Community College in Susanville, California. They're uh, having a showing of... Uh, New State of Mind, which is a California PBS documentary um, that I was featured in. And uh, the event is from 5.30 to 8.30 at Middleton Hall. Um, and uh, complimentary food and beverages. How do you not show up for that? Uh, res- reservations are not required, but um, you might want to contact 530-257-3864 just to be sure. You can also email Lassen. And Lassen is spelled L-A-S-S-E-N, Lassen Aurora Network at FrontierNet.net. Yeah, like there's a chance you wrote that down. <laughs> anyway, I'll be speaking for a half hour uh, at this thing. And I'll be doing a striptease at the end to Al Jolson music. Wow, where the fuck did that come from? 
Um, yeah, so go check out the website. You can take surveys. You can see how other people filled out surveys um, and surveys about your deepest, darkest um, thoughts and feelings. Um, you can also support the show financially by going to the website. Or you can uh, sit on your couch and go fuck yourself. That's an old chestnut I like to bring out every once in a while when I don't have anything to say and I'm feeling insecure. So how's that grab you? Before we get to the interview with uh, Joy, I want to read a couple of uh, surveys that we have. Where did I put the uh, pile of surveys? Ah, here they are. Sweet, sweet surveys. This is from the Shouldn't Feel This Way survey. And um, I'm sorry, the struggle in a sentence survey filled out by a girl named Vic. She's uh, between 16 and 19. And about her depression, she writes, like a thick, numbing gray blanket smothering me. That is very often how I, I describe it, a gray blanket. That's exactly how it feels to me. About her anxiety, the feeling you get when your chair almost topples over, but all the time. About Autism, she writes, an explanation for who I am. Finally, a box I actually fit in. This is filled out by Dinah Dork. Um, she is in her 30s about her depression. Lying in bed, staring at the wall is more appealing than spending time with the people I love most in this world. Boy, do I relate to that. About her anxiety, my waking life is a never-ending haunted house. I just know that at any, any moment, something terrible is going to pop up. Uh, this is filled out by Carlos Danger. I wonder if this is actually Anthony Weiner. Yeah, there's a chance. Uh, about his alcoholism and drug addiction. I'm smoking weed that I fished out of the garbage where I threw it last night in a mad fit of self-respect. I think every addict that just heard you describe that is nodding their head going, oh my God. Um, and this one is filled out by a woman who calls herself... Twat taco. Wow. Oodles of self, uh, uh, self-respect and self-esteem bubbling over there. Uh, she's actually dating a guy named Snake Sausage. And uh, she is in her 40s. And she writes, My rep- repressed memories make me feel like an egg with a hairline fracture. If I open up or cry even just a little... All my insides will ooze out and there will be nothing left of me but an empty shell. You know, that that really touched me, what, what you wrote. And I think I had that same fear, too, when I first started going to therapy and uncovering the stuff that was buried in there. And it was, it was a feeling like um, just that fear of emptiness or nothingness or, or being confused or not knowing where the, the, the truth is. But... Honestly, my experience and the experience of a lot of other people is once that stuff does ooze up and out, then there's a chance for something better to to fill that in. Um, And this one is filled out by a guy who calls himself um, Ugg. And about his depression, he writes, uh, fathomless existential ennui. This morning, I felt overwhelmed that I had to brush my teeth and shave. I I I have that feeling when I go to bed at night and I brush my teeth and I wash my face and I go, can I pull off flossing? <laughs> Do I have what it takes to pull off flossing tonight? 
And some nights, yes. Other nights, I'm just like, I don't think I got it in me. About his anxiety, after years of panic attacks, I still sometimes think it's actually a real heart attack. Last night, I had that experience, and the thought that I might actually be dying was kind of relieving. Uh, And finally, um, same survey filled out by Ella. She's in her 20s about her bulimia. A relief that I am strong enough to feel like I can beat it and then overall shame to know that I have not beaten anything. About anorexia. I don't struggle with it, but wish I did. It would be easier than the shame of eating my anxieties. About her OCD. Nail-biting, relief, and shame. About anger issues. I want to punch everyone who has ever hurt me And I know it would make me feel better, but I am too scared of what they might think. Wow, that is so, that is so deep. Um, Borderline personality disorder. I think I may have BPD, a relief to have found something that describes me to my core and another worry that I am making it up. Uh, Another uh, issue. I worry that I did this wrong and you will hate me for ruining the whole point of the survey. I want to point out that of the surveys I read, there's you had the most things that I read. So actually, if this were a contest, you would have won. So how's that? How's that mingling with your uh, low self-esteem? And plus, how could I hate you when I am so busy hating myself? Every human being has weird thoughts going through their head. Oh, God, it's so embarrassing. I'm afraid I'll never get another job again. That I will die and will have not been special. My brain has the gift of seeing the terrible. A million-pound tourniquet being turned against my chest that was constant. Then I started sabotaging my own career. Wanting to die and... To stop him from feeling any joy. (laughs) That is... Very uncomfortable in my own body. I ended up becoming a male prostitute. And what I became was an animal. They took away my shoelaces. I became chaos. Like it hurts. I just want to go. I just want to leave. You have no idea what a small part of your life this is. If you go to a support group, it's like creating a family that you didn't have. I mean, life is 1% event. My body was abused. 99% judgment about that event. But they couldn't touch the best parts of me. But the world is a little bit wounding. It's also glorious. It does always get better. It really does. I'm here with Joy, who is a uh, listener. She's a mom. She's got five kids. <laughs> and I'm so glad you emailed me because there's a topic that we haven't covered yet uh, on the podcast, and that is mm-hmm. the parents of a kid that struggles with mental illness. I know so often um, we just kind of, oh, my my parents did this and right. I'm fucked up, et cetera, et cetera. Right. And while I think there's certainly um, truth to that and that's valid Absolutely. stuff to talk about, um, I feel so much for the parent that has a kid for so many reasons. I just feel for parents that have kids, but (laughs) I feel for the parent that has a kid, um, especially when they're, they're good parents. Now I'm, Mm -hmm. who knows? You may be a terrible parent. I'm awful. And, uh, cause I don't know you, but I just got the vibe from, from talking to you through emails that you're, you're a parent who's just really, trying their best and yeah. and your kid's been dealt this hand and so wh- yeah. where where to begin um well like you said we have five kids we're a blended family i have two biological kids of my own who are um eight and six um garrett the eight-year-old struggles with adhd um and then uh, my fiance jason has uh four biological kids three of which are pretty much full-time with us 
Um, he has his 18-year-old who is actually on paper considered to be mentally retarded. Meeting him, there's no way that you would think that about him. Um, but he does have severe learning disabilities. But great, great kid, really hard worker. Um, just things like a, a you know an 11 year old um, has the maturity level of that. And then we have Keely. Um, he adopted two with his ex wife, two girls. Keely, who is 15, and Veronica, who is 14. And Veronica is um, our major struggle. Um, she uh, her her bio- she's, she's 14. She's yeah, she'll be 14 in a week. Okay. Um, her biological mother struggled with drug addiction. And Keely, her older sister, was the first grandchild in the family. So even though her biological mother was struggling with drug addiction when she came into the picture, Keely was embraced by the family because she was the first. first. And um, showered with love and affection and attention. Then bio mom continues to struggle and gets pregnant. You know, they're 18 months apart, I think. Um, with Veronica and then the family kind of shut her out because they, they were like, you know, you're still struggling and you're not doing anything to help these girls. And so Keely went from being showered with love to kind of not seeing the family as much. And Veronica wasn't really acknowledged. Um, and the two girls, uh, came to visit my fiance and his wife at the time. Actually, I don't even think they were married yet. Um, bio mom dropped them off and, um, it was agreed that she'd pick them up at the end of the weekend. Well, the end of the weekend came and no one could find her or get a hold of her. So, um, his soon to be wife called her mom and said, you know, we have to go to work tomorrow. What do we do? And so her mom said, bring them over. I'll watch them for a few days while we figure this out. And, um, two days later they found out that her mom had called DHS and dropped the girls off. Um, without telling anyone. And um, so Jason and Rachel had decided, well, we're going to adopt them. We don't want them in the system. Well, our incredible system said, you need to become foster parents first. You need to go through all the steps. So during that process. Now, what? it wasn't your fiance's kids? No. Oh. It's. Um, what was his relation to the so, biological mother. So, bio mom is sisters with his ex-wife. Okay. So, and, and your fiance is going. This is going to be his third marriage or a second well, marriage. High school sweetheart. He had two boys with. He mm. started early. Yeah. Um, and then he ran into the situation where he had two nieces in need, and they were. Kelly was one and a half at the time, and I think Veronica was around six months when okay. this started to happen. But but he married another person before you, right? Okay, so this is his, is going to be his third marriage. his third marriage. Okay, correct. All right. So I like to point out dysfunction wherever I see it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, um, we embrace our dysfunction and we roll with it. So <laughs> you got to be proud, right? Yeah. Um. So then. Uh, they went through the steps of, of becoming foster parents. But during that time, the kids stayed in the system and there was abuse there. Cause, um, we, we don't know a hundred percent sure there was sexual abuse. Definitely from the girl's bio uncle. It's in their adoption paperwork. I read it myself. Um, and he was only 12 at the time. So, I mean, this family just has a history of being fucked up. 
um, and not embracing their children and and not acknowledging emotion and um, you know bio mom even though she had her issues and and they have their history she was shunned from the family her girls were dropped off like trash and she wasn't offered any sort of treatment or counseling I was gonna say you know somebody wrote this really beautiful article about this this guy's wife had had cancer mm-hmm. and his daughter um, was a drug addict and he talked about how everybody wants to make food for you when you have cancer but nobody has sympathy for you when your disease is addiction because mm-hmm. I, I think there's still this belief that it's that you just don't have self-will you're selfish and while selfishness is certainly a characteristic of of addicts, it's they it's don't understand the, the powerlessness, yeah. the the mental obsession, mm-hmm. and the warping of reality. And um, people are I'm going up to Toronto this week, and people are like, "Oh, you're going to have fun talking about the mayor." I'm like, "No, that's sad. Mm-hmm. It's sad to me that mm-hmm. that this guy is in so much denial about his his sicknesses, and that to me, it's like making fun of somebody that is it you know saying i don't have i don't have cancer you know and they weigh 63 pounds right it's just i don't know it's like shooting fish in a barrel mm-hmm. and um i i i just feel um i feel for that bio mom even though she was a terrible mom absolutely i know what the clutches of addiction um are like and it probably made sense to her to just do what she did she probably needed it to function at that point and you know uh realizing if she went back and picked up the girls without her her medicine is how she's looking at it she's not going to be able to take care of them um and you know it's it's interesting because we're still the bio mom is in the girl's life she has her shit together now she does she does it's amazing paul it's an amazing story she's getting her master's to hopefully become a drug and alcohol counselor Um, so she can really relate to the people she's helping. And if, if her past record gets in the way of that, she's studying neuroscience. So if she can't get her license for whatever reason, she can at least, um, study it and help with the growth of figuring out, you know, how, how to combat addiction better and, and help people. Does she want to have her her kids back or did, did that window close? (laughs) That window closed. So, um, uh, Jason and his ex-wife um, went through all the hoops and they legally adopted the girls and um, bio mom gave up all her rights. Um, so adopted mom. And so they were the nieces of uh, Jason's previous wife. Correct. And now his daughters, of course. Okay. Um, Why did she not keep them if they if they were her blood relatives when Jason split up with his previous wife? She... Um, Keely just recently decided she wanted to go live with her mom. Um, we had both girls full time. She has a very volatile relationship with Veronica. Veronica has had a history of being violent and in fact went after her with a knife when she was pregnant. She she got pregnant with um, her boyfriend and has a almost two year old now um, and went after her mom with a knife when um, she was pregnant. And there's been, uh, you know, several situations uh what set this last one off is this past march um it what we would do with veronica is we only live five blocks away from adopted mom so 
we would um, do three and a half days on, three and a half days off. So that way we could get a, a break and all kind of keep our sanity and um, rest and be rejuvenated to be the best parents we could be for her. And um, it was Rachel's turn and uh, she wouldn't get out of bed. And how the story goes is, you know, I'm sure Veronica called her a fucking bitch and got in her face. And so um, I guess Rachel reached for the book and scratched her. Um, school called DHS to get involved. DHS investigated. Um, it was unfa- finally, it wasn't really found, un- found unfounded. Um, mm. It was closed because she was not cooperative. She would not interview with them. She wouldn't deal with them. Veronica wouldn't? No, uh, mom wouldn't. Okay. Um, and it's partly because mom is with a completely opposite guy of Jason now. Jason's a police officer. Her new boyfriend's a felon. Has um, struggles with addiction problems of his own. Um, is apparently sober at this point. This is a sweet booyah base of cops. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, my God. <laughs> babies having babies, mental illness, yep. cops, a multiple marriages. All of dysfunction. Oh, my God. I need to flowchart this, and it should be, I know, right? it should be done in blood. <laughs> yes. Um, wow. Yeah, it, it took a while to, for me to get it down, too. Um, so, basically, that incident, um, DHS said, you know, we can't really tell you that she can't see her mom but we think she'd be best in your care i see and um adoptive mom because of the family she was brought up in acts like an ostrich and when things get tough she buries her head in the sand and she's very defensive and um makes it everybody else's fault and has i'm sure some mental illness that she's not keely does live with her keely did live with her but that was the 15 year old runaway you won't let me date the boy I want to date, so oh <laughs> I'm going to go live with mom. I would love to see the impatience in Judge Judy's face if you tried to explain all of this to her before you got to the reason why somebody owes somebody $1,500. <laughs> I would just fucking love to see the smoke come out of her ears. I know. Is she even still on the air? I don't even I, know. I that might so. just be an incredibly old reference. No, I actually, I love Judge Judy, so... Yeah. Uh, So go ahead, continue. So they haven't spoken since March. They've maybe went to dinner once. Um, Veronica seems pretty okay with that. And um, since then, Veronica's been arrested um, for assaulting her sister. And I think that's another reason Keely decided to move with her mom, because it was just too much for her. Is that too close? Better? (laughs) Close is good. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So... it's it's been crazy. I, Jason and I have lived together two and a half years. And is this your first marriage or going to be your first marriage? No, it's going to be my second. Okay. Um, I was um, married to my high school sweetheart, and we had two kids together. Um, he, I have anxiety issues, and he has anger issues, and together we were not very good. Um, so. Uh, we we decided. Well, I decided I I was done. I needed to get a divorce. So, um. And how old were your kids when you got divorced? Aubrey was two, and Garrett was three and a half, almost four. So, um, 
uh, Veronica's issues, she, from what I, Jason has told me, she's always been a very honorary little girl and um, temper, like bad temper. But when she's little, it's almost comical sometimes because, you know, they're so cute. And here's this little creature having a, temp- hmm. a tantrum. And um, Was there an attempt to give her uh, set boundaries and give her consequences and stuff like that? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, she would have to go to her room and calm down um, before anything was discussed. And um, she just... She in her worst part. So I think what happened is is middle school is like the armpit of a child's existence. They're awful to each other. They're absolutely awful to each other. Yeah, hormones are starting to kick in. Right. Bodies are starting to change. Right. So right around the time I'm meeting Jason and we're starting to date, um, you know, he didn't introduce me to his girls for seven eight months, which I'm totally fine with. Um, and he's you know going through this divorce and um the girls are having struggles and veronica's just entering middle school um and she has been officially diagnosed with reactive attachment disorder so basically what that is is i hate you i love you don't leave me so the closer you are to her the more she pushes back and so when she first gets to know someone, she's so charming and so loving. And you're like, this child is just misunderstood. Um, and and y- you become bonded with her. As soon as she senses that bond, she, that's when she starts to push back. Because she's afraid to make that attachment. Because... Yeah, that she, person's going to abandon her. Right, exactly. Oh, my God. Um, you want to love me? Here, love me. You know, um, it's like she's challenging you. You're going to leave anyway, so let me just throw some rocks your way. It's almost like the, you know, the person who is uh, promiscuous and mm-hmm. can't ha- handle anything more than a one night stand. They want the validation of somebody wanting them, but, but then it's like, oh my god, you want something from me? You're gonna, right. you're gonna hurt me. Right. I'm gonna, I'm gonna quit before you fire me. Right. And you're going to start expecting things from me and, and, um, you know, you're going to be disappointed in me. And, um, she also has a major depression disorder. Um, and so Jason and I moved in together about two and a half years ago in, in summer while the kids were out of school. And that's when we really saw some red flags and looking back, of course, when you're further away from the situation, you can see it a little bit more clearly. I mean, there were a lot of changes going on in her world and, um, she just didn't have the coping skills to deal, deal with it. So, um, you know, one day she'd hate him and, um, you know, scream, fuck you, I hate you, and, and try to hit him in the face. And, you know, we're trying to understand where this is coming from at Was this she point. physically abused? Um, She has memories of it. Jason says uh, it didn't happen in his house, um, but she has memories and we can't decide... And I don't know that it's even been decided in counseling because she's in therapy once a week. If Is she um, okay with doing the therapy Does, or it, does she drag her feet? It's been a long road. Um, I mean, there were points at her worst where we would kind of had to physically pick her up and put her in the car to go. Um, how it basically started is just this really reactive 
behavior and and then it got physical and it got physical with her siblings never the little ones never mind but um with older ones and to the point where we would have to restrain her and take her down because she was going to hurt her herself or they were going to hurt her um you know we just had to physically take her down several times we've had to call the police to help restrain her because we were to the point where if we would restrain her anymore we would hurt her and we didn't want that um and that's really embarrassing for Jason. These are, you know, his coworkers come into my house because I can't control my daughter. That's right, because he's a cop. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about how how that affects you guys. Um, it was tough at first. It was really tough because she'd get to the point where, you know, Jason is a big guy, and he's, you know, down on the ground with her, holding her hands, and she's physically picking him up and moving. And it's 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 like her eyes change color and she becomes a different person when she goes into that stage. And since we've been able to do the therapy and get through a bunch of stuff, she recognizes that she kind of blacks out and she doesn't remember those situations. Um, and, I would bet there's just like huge amounts of adrenaline going through right. her. How else could she lift right. somebody like that up? So there's been several times where we have because we have a um, digital lock on our door, um, partly to lock up guns. Um, and we would lock all the kids in our bedroom and just say, stay there. We'll handle this. And then it would, he would look at me and be like, I'm, if I go three more minutes with this, I'm going to be exhausted. I'm not going to be able to hold her down anymore. So what do you do? And you know, you're not going to knock this kid out. You're not going to hurt her. Um, so, we had to call and he was so embarrassed at first. He's like, you know, here I am. He would respond to calls like this before and judge the family and say, I'm not, I'm not, a, I'm here to, you know, help people that are in danger and things like that. I'm not here to parent for you because of course, by the time the police get there, the child is usually calmed down and usually kind of twisted if they're man- manipulators like Veronica and make it seem like they're overreacting. Nothing happened. So he would respond to these exact calls and be like, just, you know, behave and, and mind your parents. Yeah. Right. And tell the parents, come on, you know, make some rules and just kind of blame it on them that they're not parenting. And so he put that on us. Like, we're not doing enough. We're not, we're not doing our job. And, and it, I just kind of had to tell him, Jason, you know, you need to back up and you need to look at the big picture and look at us from the outside and realize we are doing everything we can and to get the the mental the mental health system on our side to hear us um she had to go through three different psych hospitals before we got intensive care for her and you know um three three different visits and where they just kind of yeah she's depressed here pop a pill and was the the state paying for this? Was your insurance paying for this? Well, because they're adopted, they get they get state care. Oh, okay. Um, and so finally, um, we moved in together in July, and it, something in her brain. So right now she's kind of going through it too, but it's it's not as intense as it was in the past couple of years. We think a trauma had happened in November and December, because she tends to. Um, get really agitated easily and become in a really bad mood and we don't know really where it's coming from because everything's really fine 
at home. And before we thought, well, maybe it's school and she's just not sharing it with us. Um, but again, everything seems to be fine. And, and it's, like I said, a lot less intense now, but she's right. definitely more agitated this time of year. I'm going to, I'm going to offer up these two tragedies known as Thanksgiving and Christmas. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> I shut down every Thanksgiving. Literally, when the clocks go back in the fall, I know Thanksgiving and Christmas are coming up. And, and that's when every- also her birthday as well. Oh, yeah. And these are probably all reminders for her that she was given away, even though she, she has never been told that or is never, you know, it's, you know, they have never treated her like that. Um, I couldn't imagine what it's like to know that bio mom couldn't get her shit together enough to keep them. Um, and I think the difficult thing about the holidays too, is in addition to the days being short, you know, and it's gray outside mm-hmm. and the leaves and Oregon. are dead. Yeah. It's always gray in Oregon. Oh God. <laughs> on, on top of that, everybody, so many people have the game face on of let's you, be happy. Let's You're be, supposed happy. To be happy. Yeah. yeah. And so you see everybody being happy and you don't know that maybe half of them are dying on the inside, right. but you just think, what's the matter with me? Why Why do I feel so numb? Mm-hmm. Why do I? And, and I think oftentimes, too, it's that, you know, the relatives come in and all these triggers and, you know, et cetera, Absolutely. et cetera. So I can't imagine how hard that's got to be. That's a really good point. For, for her. Mm-hmm. It's uh, Yeah. So uh, December, the year we moved in together, she... Uh, my little kids were with their dad for the weekend and I, I believe Jonathan, the oldest was away at a wrestling tournament. And this is when Jason worked nights. So he was off at work. So it was just me and the two girls and Keely, um, Veronica was being just, this was during the worst part and she just wanted to be secluded in a room and leave me alone. And anytime I tried to interact with her, I was cussed out, you know, fuck you, bitch, get away from me. Um, anytime I asked her to do anything, you know, so Keely and I had decided we need a break. Let's go have dinner and get some um, Christmas shopping done. So we told Veronica we'll be back in a little while. And, um, and she was old enough to stay on her own at this yeah, point. Yeah, she was 12. Mm-hmm. So um, she, we came home and she had put all over her door sayings like, I hate you all. Fuck you. I'm going to die. So I'm just thinking to myself, oh, my God, what am I going to open to what am I going to open this door and see? So I open the door and she is laying on her bed, hanging over. I don't know, dead. I don't, I don't know at this point. She's completely out, whatever it is. And all over her room is, is torn paper with, I want to die. This is too hard. Fuck you. Just, um, I'm a stupid bitch. I'm a whore. I'm just awful things. So, I go up to her, make sure she's breathing. I check her pulse. Um, there's nothing around to show that she could have taken anything. Um, but from the lights, there's what looks like a noose. So I don't know if she was trying to hang herself. Um, I um, start to take pictures after I make sure she's okay, just to keep fighting the battle. Yeah. This girl needs help. And this is why. This is what you're not seeing. This is what she's not telling you. And... Um, so as I'm doing that, she woke up and she got super, super angry with me. Get the fuck out, getting in my face, pushing me. Um, so I told Keely, go to my bedroom. Um, you know, and I told her, Veronica, we're worried about you. Are you okay? Did you take anything? No, fuck you. Get the fuck out. So 
um, I go to my bedroom and I close the door and we try to go to sleep and um, she starts to pound on the door. Let me in, let me in. Um, I want to die. I'm like, you just need to relax and go to bed. So finally, after two hours of her, let me in, let me in. Because I knew if she's pounding on the door, she's obviously not trying to kill herself. Um, I opened the door and I had been communicating with Jason. What do I do with this? And he's like, she, she's done this before with her mom. She'll get tired and go to bed. Um, if you go out there, she will be physical with you. And I don't want you guys to get into it. So just try to ignore it. She will get tired and go to bed. Um, cause she would also, also when we would say no to something, she'd follow us around the house and keep repeating herself. Um, why not? Why? Why? And when we would give her an answer, it wasn't good enough. Why? That's not a good answer. And so I knew this was kind of that kind of thing. Um, so after about two hours, um, it got quiet. So I went out there to check on her and she had put duct tape around her neck to the point where it was turning purple. And I said, that's it. I'm calling the police. And um, she tried to take the phone away from me. And so I yelled to Keely, call your dad and call the police. Um, and so we're struggling on the ground. And I kind of let her scratch me, let her put some marks on me. So that way they would hospitalize her so she'd get the help she needed. I didn't defend myself as much as I had in the past by holding her arms. I just kind of took a beating um, because I wanted them to see this is serious. This is more than just us telling you she needs help. She needs help because she put on a really good act for the counselors. I don't know what they're talking about. I'm fine. Um, and that was her first hospital stay. Um, she had a, a two other ones because of similar behavior. And then finally, we got her into a program um, in Corvallis called the farmhouse. And she stayed there for about four months, and basically it's intensive therapy, um, and cognitive therapy, and also they um, meet with a psychiatrist to help balance out meds, see if she's on the right thing. Um, and then she came home, and um, she did well. Uh, she finished out the school year, and then we went into summer, um, and then... Um, so we've been doing the whole routine of seeing a psychiatrist once a month to check in with her meds, doing counseling once a week. Also, we were assigned a skills trainer. Uh, the family was to help. Thank um, God. Right. To help um, teach us how to handle these things and teach us, too, how to stay in our wise mind, they call it. They, You know, there's an emotional mind. And then there's um, your... Um, reasonable mind and in the middle is your wise mind and that's the mind you need to use when you're dealing with veronica it is so easy to stay in your rational mind and be like what the hell is wrong with this child or stay in your emotional side and say you know what i've been working all fucking day i don't want to deal with this right now um but you know so we too had to learn how to stay in our wise mind um, and it so it sounds like a combination of empathy and boundaries. Right, exactly. Um, so, you know, the older kids had to learn how to use boundaries without being mean, without yeah. um, being ugly about it. 
Now it's time to give our sponsors a little bit of love. And we got a new sponsor, PillPack, the pharmacy that makes it incredibly simple to take the right medications at the right time. PillPack delivers pre-sorted medications directly to your door, saving time and reducing stress. Uh, podcast listeners get the first month free uh, when they sign up through PillPack.com slash happy hour. I can tell you as somebody that uh, has taken meds for years, I can tell you how many times I will say, I can't remember if I took my meds today. Or uh, I will find it 7 o'clock at night and I forgot to take uh, my meds. Here's the part that I, uh, I love about PillPack is that you don't have to wait in line at the pharmacy. How many times have you just been in a shitty mood and you show up at the pharmacy and it's 10 people deep and somebody at the front of the line, their insurance isn't accepting it, um, or the, the worst, and this happens to me uh, quite frequently when I, when I used to go to a pharmacy, is they would be out of my prescription, so then I would have to come back. Well, you don't have to worry about any of that with PillPack. It's medication simplified. Prescriptions, vitamins, over-the-counter meds arrive pre-sorted in really easy-to-open packets. You never have to fill a pill box again. And uh, at home, your PillPack dispenser uh, is compact. Uh, it's uh, If you're traveling, you can tear off the packets and uh, just take whatever you need on the road. They ship to uh, prescriptions to 33 states and non-prescriptions to all 50. Um, PillPack's thought of everything you need to simplify and manage your meds, and they have amazing customer service to boot. So if you or someone you care about is living with a stressful medication routine, PillPack is the smart choice to save time and reduce stress. Find a better pharmacy at www, I don't know why I included that, pillpack.com slash happy hour. I want to also give some love to a sponsor that I love, which is naturebox.com. They have such an amazing assortment of snacks. Um, I love it. I have them in my car. I have them in my kitchen. And I don't know about you, but when my blood sugar gets low in between meals, it's so nice to have something to reach for where I can just put a handful in my mouth and keep going until until my next meal. Uh, a couple of my favorites are the Everything Bagel Sticks and the Baked Sweet Potato Fries. Dip them in a little bit of cheese or something. Oh. It's so good. Uh, Nature Box is a monthly subscription service that delivers better snacks straight to you. Not just any snacks, the real deal. No high fructose corn syrup, no hydrogenated oils, no artificial flavors or colors. Smarter snacks. Uh, they've got a huge variety, uh, over 100 if last I counted. Whatever you're in the mood for, dried fruits, um, whole wheat fig bars, all kinds of granola, savory or sweet, anything if uh, that you want. And you can get a rotating surprise box each month. So uh, go check it out. Visit naturebox.com slash happy hour to get your uh, 50% off your first box. So since then, um, you know, it's been up and down. Um, and then I believe it was in April, Keely and Veronica started to have a really rough week together. They either love or hate each other. And that's normal teenage girl stuff. And so it's also hard to weed out. Is this mental illness right now? Or is this just normal teenage girl stuff that they're going through? And, um, you know, Veronica had been in Keely's room and messed some things up. So Keely went into her room and threw some la dirty laundry on her bed. Well, then 
we came home one day and Veronica had gone in her sister's room and literally taken every possession she owned and thrown it in the middle of the room. So it was just a disaster. And so they physically started to get into it and we had to break that up. Um, and then the next... At least they're getting exercise, huh? Right, I know. <laughs> get those endorphins going yeah. somehow, right? And then the next day, um, Keely went into Veronica's room and said, I'm missing my mascara and I see my mascara right here on the floor. Can you please give it to me? Um, I'd like it back. And um, I'm kind of watching because Veronica's door is uh, kitty corner to ours. And so I'm kind of watching with one eye. I don't have my glasses on, so I can't really see, but I'm listening to tone. And um, then I see Veronica get up and get in her face and then punch Keely square in the nose um, so hard that she immediately started to turn black and blue. Well, we send her to school and school calls DHS. <laughs> and at this point, we're also telling Veronica, look, it's been two years. We've thrown everything at you but the kitchen sink. You know better. You've been going to therapy. You've been going to skills training. You know that you cannot get physical, period, no matter how mad you are. Um, you know the skills, you know, you could have come to us and said, I'm about to explode. I'm going to hurt somebody. I need to go away for a minute. And we would have totally acknowledged that. But you're not using your skills that you know, that we all know. And um, so the cops show up at our house and she gets arrested for assault. So now she's currently on probation for assault, um, which is is good and bad. Um, you know, it, it's unfortunate that I had to go that way. way. Um, we stood in court and the judge said, you're doing everything you can for this kid. And yeah, we are. And he's like, can we offer you any more services? Well, a week or two before that, we had gone to something called a community partners meeting where DHS, OYA, all of these, you know, youth um, authority figures come together and talk about certain cases. And basically for families that don't have the things that we've already put in place, they offer those things. We sat in front of this committee and said, we don't know what to do at this point. We have four other kids that we're trying to raise in this house and we can't guarantee their safety at this point. And I would imagine it's robbing them of attention. Correct. I mean, How do you look at a six-year-old and say, I'm sorry that I can't read you a book right now without screaming of fuck you, you fucking cunt. You know, it's awful. Why do you act like a fucking cunt? Well, you know, the guy just... that hasn't been listening for the last <laughs> 32 minutes. <laughs> let's get down to why you are a fucking cunt, Joy. Okay, let's talk about I, that. <laughs> I love, by the way, the listeners that cringe when we when we swear. Uh, I, I love. They probably shut this off at the five minute mark. But uh, God, my heart goes out to you uh, and your and your husband. Um, I can't imagine how exhausting. So exhausting. Physically and emotionally. So exhausting. This is this has got to be. You've just constantly because you, I mean you guys really sound to me like parents that are trying to be present and really trying to to do the best thing and with complications that are so 
what a tangled bowl of spaghetti. Right. And uh, and these two girls didn't ask for any of it. So what do you do? You know, a psychiatrist would probably feel like their hands are tied mm-hmm. and they've gone to medical school for this. Yeah. Um, you know, it's funny. Jason and I saw uh, one of those e-card things on Facebook that said, described it perfectly. I hate you so much that I want to push you off a cliff, but I love you so much that I want to run like hell to catch you at the bottom of it. It's it's heartbreaking because when you're exhausted and you can't do it anymore and you don't know you don't know what to do because it's this child needs you. It's apparent she needs you, but she's pushing you away with every every ounce of her being. And it's so easy to put your hands up and say, fine. Um, and we were there. We were there. We looked at DHS and we said, we don't know what else to do. And they pretty much looked across the table and said, we know what you do for a living, Jason. You better be real careful. We could charge you with neglect. Neglect? <laughs> What do you mean neglect? Well, this is a guy that, that has chosen to bring this child into... And then continued <laughs> to do far and beyond what most parents would do. Um, and has continued to forgive this little girl at every corner, at every opportunity. He has taught me so much about forgiveness and seeing beyond um, what is coming out of her mouth. He he's an amazing father, and um, this this little girl, this beautiful soul that's stuck around all this darkness and blackness, she has taught me more about being a good counselor, about mental health, than any course room, any classroom, any book would ever teach me. Um. People come into your life for a reason, and she has come into my life to teach me some some things that I would have never learned and I, never understood. Can you give me some examples? I always knew mental illness was something that you couldn't see, but I I didn't realize that it's like you're trapped. <sighs> She has such a heart of gold. She's such a beautiful soul. And when she's on, she's amazing. And then it's like this darkness swallows her and she disappears. And the fact that you can see it physically happen to her. I'm glad that you can see that because I can tell you as somebody who, when I feel my mental illness really coming in like a cloud and changing me mm-hmm. i just i just want other people to know that this is not a an attitude thing this goes right. beyond attitude this is a physical manifestation right. of something that is beyond your beyond your control what you do have control over is recognizing and saying i'm going to use these tools just like you said to veronica on right. that on that day right. but you know if if this podcast accomplishes its accomplishes anything i hope it's that the general public can begin to have more empathy for the the intensity and the complicated nature 
of mental illness mm-hmm. on the sufferer and those around them like them. you. And before I would have gone into a grocery store, if I would have heard, for example, one day uh, Veronica leaves the house in the middle of an argument. I'm saying, you can't leave. You need to stay here. I'm going to report you as a runaway if you leave. And she blurts out on her front lawn, fuck you, you stupid bitch. Do what you need to do. I fucking hate you. And walks away. Meanwhile, the family that lives across the street is playing bat- baseball in the street as a family. I'll turn around, stop, and look oh. at me. I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> so before, I would have looked upon that parent and said, take control. What is your issue? Set some boundaries for that kid. I would have totally judged. Even though I plan on going into this field, I probably still would have judged. And I think 90% of the population would, you know. Right. I think 90%. And uh, probably myself included, I'd be like that 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 kid's out of control. What yeah. are you doing? What are you doing? Why are you just doing? standing there? Yeah. Um and it's it's made me realize that everybody everybody has their story and you're only seeing a teeny tiny second of that story and you don't know what's going on. Um I've also heard, by the way, that babies that are in the womb of a of an addict um, are much more prone to having um, difficulty with impulse control. Mm, that makes sense. She also has ADHD, which adds to the um, lack of impulse control. That so she has reactive attachment disorder, major depressive disorder, and ADHD. We've had three professionals look at us and say she shows traits of bipolar and borderline, um, but we're not putting that on paper. She's too young. She'll get labeled throughout yeah. this whole thing, and, and we just can't put that on paper. And, you know, my opinion is what the names of those things are isn't even mm-hmm. really important. I suppose it's it's comforting for, for the parent or even the, the sufferer to know, okay, what I'm dealing with has a name. Right. But um, I feel like sometimes that the names of those things – um, make it more difficult for the stigma to overcome for the general population because I think a lot of the general population goes, they're just explaining bad behavior away. Mm-hmm. They're making excuses mm-hmm. for that person. Um, and unless you live with it or with someone dealing with it, it's it's really hard to understand. It's really hard to get it. Um, and now the beautiful part of therapy is not only has it helped her open up to us to feel comfortable enough that she's not going to be rejected if she tells us what's going on. Um, but it's also helped us to recognize her signs. And, um, for example, uh, part of her probation, she can't miss any homework assignments. And, um, we knew she was running late with one and that it had been due that Monday. And, um, so she, we told her 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 reward is the computer. So we told her no computer until this gets done. And she started to get really agitated. And before that would escalate it very quickly to a screaming fight to her getting physical. And now we're able to recognize the physical signs and say, you look really agitated. You look like you're in a bad place. Tell us what's going on in your head right now so we can help you. We're here to help you. Let us help you. And she was able to communicate I am feeling so overwhelmed right now. I don't even know where to start. 
That's awesome. So, and the fact that we can just get that out of her, I was able to say, okay, let's sit down and make a list. When I feel overwhelmed, I like to make a list. And from there, we finished her project that night. And um, so... What was your mood like when she finished the project? Proud and, and, and much more calm. And, um, and I said, see, sometimes just kind of telling the people around you, this is what I need, um, helps tremendously because then ideas start to flow and, and they can help you um, get a hold on that, that feeling of being overwhelmed and so you don't feel so alone. And, and I think for a person who's battling mental illness, vulnerability is one of the scariest mm -hmm. things in the world. Right. And that's I think that's why her behavior was so extreme because that was her huge defense. Um, you're not going to hurt me because I'm going to hurt you first. Um, and I mean, I know, I know that we still have years and, and leaps and bounds to grow with her and there's, it's not always going to be this great. It's, it's going to get worse at times. And, um, but the fact that we've come this far already, it just, I'm, I'm just blown away with how far we've come and how we have all been able to get through this together. Um, I wish there was more parents like you, you know? Thank I you. And believe me, um, for the listeners out there that are dealing with children, w and they're probably listening to this, and they might be in the middle of just the worst and be like, how can she say, uh, you know, it, it gets better, it won't get better, it will get better. You just need to know, one, you're not alone, to talk about it with people, your real friends will understand. And reach out for help with appropriate people. Right. You know, I, I think reaching out for help to somebody who's kind of emotionally shut down and has a quote unquote normal family right. might help, but it might not. Right. You know, that, that might be just going to somebody that's not equipped to. And your parents aren't always the best people to go to <laughs> because then you know it's easy for your parents to look on you and say what did you do wrong yeah you're you're not parenting correctly you need to be harder on them and um and and because it's an older generation and and they don't get it as much and um you know and to realize that you don't have to solve it all right now it's okay to say we're both way too tuned up to talk about this right now and walk away you know, you don't have to, it's not a win-lose situation. Um, just because, you know, you feel as a parent that, you know, it should be this way because you're the authority figure. It, it, that doesn't always work. So let's, let's talk about you for a, for a minute. Okay. What, what, what goes on with you and how do you handle your, cause I would imagine you've got to feel overwhelmed. How do you take care of yourself? How do you do things? How do you feed your soul when um, you're dealing with something like this? And then, you know, four other kids or however many other kids. Yeah. Four other kids, four other kids that need their mom. And, mm -hmm. um, I, there's been a point we got in a fight once that I lost my shit and, um, I didn't lose it in front of the kids, but I went out to the garage and they heard me. I was cussing. I was throwing stuff. I was at my wits end. And after I did that and I felt better, I came in and Veronica was still real high, 
hiked up. So Jason was handling her and talking with her in the bedroom. But I gathered the four other kids and I took them into my little kid's bedroom. And I said, I'm sorry. I lost it. And even though we're grownups and, and we understand more and we have more experience, we're still human and we're not perfect. And sometimes we reach a point where we can't take it anymore. And um, I always tell my kids, uh, perfect is way too much pressure. So, um, you know, maybe I, I told them, I, maybe I didn't handle it the best way, but I had to get some of that out. And I had to do it in a way where I wasn't going to hurt anybody. Um, so I had to take myself away from the situation. And I'm sorry if it was scary. And I'm okay now. And I opened it up. Do you have any questions? Um, then did they say, does that mean we're not little cocksuckers? <laughs> no, I said, yes, that means you are little <laughs> cocksuckers. And you should be ashamed to go sit in the corner. Um, <laughs> so uh, also humor. Remembering the humor in all of this. Being able to close the door and look at Jason and just laugh helps a ton and be like, yeah. I, I don't know what sometimes, the fuck to do to you. <laughs> yeah, sometimes it's all you can do when it just gets... I remember one time my wife and I were having a bad day, and this is so small on the scale of things, but um, we we were having a bad day. I can't remember, but we went grocery shopping, and somehow we were, we were parked on a street, a busy street, and the shopping cart got away from us and was heading into traffic. <laughs> And it didn't get hit by a car, but I just remember my wife saying something overly dramatic, like "It's all lost." <laughs> and I and and we like five minutes later, after we got the groceries in the car, we both just started laughing so hard about how much, you know, how, how she just kind of lost her shit. And yeah. when we park near that spot, sometimes I'll look at her and I'll go, "It's all lost," and, <laughs> That's we, awesome. and we laugh about it. <laughs> It's so important to be able to laugh at yourself, too, and to to be able to show your kids, I'm not perfect, but practice what you preach. If you want them to open up, I mean, obviously, you're not going to share everything with them because they're kids and they don't need to know about bills and what we can and can't pay and, and oh, the insurance isn't going to cover this. But to be able to open up and, and if you're having a visibly annoying day where you're just overwhelmed and you're stomping around the house for... If you snap at a kid and they look at you like, what the hell is that for? You can turn to them and apologize and say, I'm sorry. I'm really stressed out because I have a paper due in two hours and I haven't had a chance to sit down and start writing it. Um, just to say, this is, we're, this is what we have in common. We are human together and we both, you know, my tolerance as a grown-up might be more, but I do reach it. And it's okay to say, this is how I'm feeling. Um, it, you know, and, and then to also participate in the therapy. Um, and it might lead to make you realize that you need therapy individually. And that's okay. Uh, Jason and I go to therapy, try to go at least once a month just to kind of unload our wagon um, and leave that there um, and kind of make sure we're on the right path and that we don't forget that we are in a relationship together too and we are the foundation of our family and if we don't nurture that and acknowledge that then none of this is going to work i forgot what i was going to ask you i just <laughs> opened my mouth like i'm going to ask you the most important question in the world and then as my dad used to say my brain went to screensaver <laughs> that's um, awesome <laughs> um 
Oh, I know what it was. So what, what, if any advice would you give to a parent who is struggling with a kid that has mental illness? What are the, what are some of the best resources? And I know they're, Excuse you. me. I know they vary from state to state, mm-hmm. um, but what are? I would say county services are probably your best bet. They can um, give you therapy. Um, uh, you know, any medication you might need to be prescribed. But also, they have like Veronica was a part of a. Um, oh, I lost the name of it. But basically, we would meet once a month with her team, her skills trainer, her therapist her um, psychiatrist and um, come up, we, you know, at the beginning year, come up with goals for her to meet. And then we'd meet and see where she's at with those goals and what challenges um, she's seeing. I'm told that um, calling 211 from a landline will uh, connect you to uh, local services. You know, it'll connect you to, you know, the person that says, you know, i they didn't pick our garbage up, but you can say, are there, it's, it's everything. It's all the, the services oh, okay. that are available, but two one one, but it has to be from a landline and you okay. can find out, um, does what, anybody have a landline anymore? <laughs> that's the, that's the problem. So it really only helps people first. in their seventies, <laughs> but they are taken care of because they're the only ones. There's <laughs> nobody else. Um, I I haven't tried it myself, but I've heard you say that before. And I would imagine just Googling, just mm-hmm. Googling mm-hmm. Um, mental health services in the name of your county. And be the squeaky wheel, because our, our system is desperate for money. There's not a lot of funding. So if you're not the squeaky wheel, um, they're not going to follow up with you. You have to be per- persistent. You have to be. And um, don't give up. Uh, you know, and, and recognize that you are only human and you are doing the best you can. If you have your children's best interests in mind, then you're doing, you're doing better than most. (laughs) And I would imagine a really important thing is find something that feeds your soul. Find time for yourself because if your battery's not charged, you, you can't help anybody. Get enough sleep. Um, you know, I know that's hard to do when you're stressing about Mm -hmm. helping your child, but you've got to. Um, get into therapy yourself. Um, even if you you feel like everything's fine, just the mere stress of dealing with this um, it, it can really do a number on you. And to just be able to unload your wagon and have someone hear you, and um, you know, choose friends that understand, um, that aren't going to judge what you're going through, um, and because you really don't have the time for someone that's going to. How how big or prominent is the fear that other that people look at you as deficient as a parent and talk about you? Oh, when I f- we first started this, it was a huge fear. Um, you know, to the point where it was like, you know, when I finish my master's, and what if you know, what if I can't get a job because people looked at me like, oh, you're a horrible parent. But what helped that is is talking to my close friends and be being reassured. You're doing everything you can. You're doing more than I could. Um, you're a good parent, um, and it's okay to need that reassurance because you feel so alone when you're going through this. Um, you feel like a failure, uh, and you need you need to remind yourself that you're not. And remind me again, what are you getting your master's in? Um, counseling. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Thank you. Do you, is there anything else you want to add before we do fears and loves? Um, I think we've said it all, um, or most of it anyway. I'm sure there's yeah. still a few noodles I left out, but. 
And congratulations on being the first guest whose childhood we didn't talk about. <laughs> Thank you. I uh, avoided that nicely, didn't I? <laughs> yeah. Unless there was something that you wanted to talk about from your childhood or no, adolescence Catholic, or anything. Catholic Irish family. Yeah. So rub some dirt in it and get over it. I kind of, I kind of, <laughs> I, I kind of uh, enjoyed the reprieve from uh, talking. Although I love talking about people's childhoods, it was really refreshing to um, have a an episode that was really different in mm-hmm. uh, in a lot of ways and and I just want to give some love to to parents out there cuz I can't imagine um any job that is more confusing and more taxing and more rewarding probably right um but uh I know they feel like sometimes they get picked on uh, in this show and that's never that's never been my my intent but a lot of them do fail in their Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Unfortunately. Um... And that's the thing to remember. There's a lot of them fail in their <laughs> responsibility. <laughs> and you're one of them. <laughs> All right. Let's go to, uh, let's start off with fears. I'm going to be reading fears uh, from a listener uh, in the forum who calls themselves, or she calls herself Rose Dahlia 31. I might have read these before, but that's all right. Um, and she says, I'm afraid I will be the last in my family to die. Uh, Boy, she's just right out of the gate. <laughs> I fear that I will continue to gain weight and gain so much that my short frame starts to give in and I have to use a scooter to get around. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Uh, I'm afraid my eating disorder is actually a flow, slow form of suicide. Oh, interesting. That's deep. Um, I fear outliving my children and having to live with the pain of losing them and the guilt that I didn't do enough while they were living. I'm afraid that while I'm jogging through the park, I'll get raped. She, you know, she's just ticking off the the big dark ones right Mm -hmm. out of the gate. Mm -hmm. I fear that my anxiety will come back and I will be so overwhelmed by choices. I will just sit on the couch, smoke pot all day and eat lots of ice cream. (laughs) I'm afraid I will only work entry level jobs. I fear my kids feel unloved, unheard, or unimportant. I'm afraid I'll never get married because I never want to have children. I fear that I have said something in this podcast that will hurt someone or will come back to haunt me. I'm afraid I'll always be dependent on someone, whether family, boyfriend, husband, or girlfriend. Mm. I fear my fiancé will not be attracted to me anymore because I've gained 40 pounds since we met, I and I will lose him and up and end up a fat cat lady yelling for my kids to bring me something to drink because I can't walk the 10 steps to the kitchen myself. You, you'll even be too big for your scooter. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> that should be a clothing line, uh, too big for your scooter. <laughs> fat cat lady. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm afraid I'll get fat uh, when I go through menopause. Mm. Uh, I fear not finishing my master's right before I'm done and not being able to afford to pay back my student loans, so I have to become a Walmart greeter on nights and weekends. <laughs> Your fears are so awesomely detailed, and I just <laughs> want to thank you, by the way, for, because sometimes uh, I'll ask people to do a fear and love list, and they're just, you know, I love sand, <laughs> I, know, I love sunsets, and it's just like, usually I wind up editing those out, because it's, right. but thank you for... No, my anxieties are very specific. <laughs> I appreciate it. Uh, I'm afraid I'll die alone in a nursing home, neglected and unloved. I have that fear, too. 
especially not having kids, I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, I'm just going to be that guy where That's people go, one. how do, you know, note to self, don't end up like that mm-hmm. guy. Talking to yourself in a room. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I fear that I might leave a mark on my stepdaughter while restraining her and she claims abuse and I'm arrested and I'm un- founded an unfit parent and lose my kids. Wow. That's intense. Yeah. Because really I've chose this relationship. Um, you know, I brought my kids into this, so it's scary at times. I'm afraid I ended my first relationship too soon. I'm afraid of accidentally sending a sext meant for my fiance to one of my in-laws or children. <laughs> <laughs> that was it for uh, Rose's fears. Do you have any uh, other ones you want to you wanna follow up with? Um, I do. I fear waking up one morning and I'm suddenly still in high school and struggling to graduate. <laughs> I've, I fear that Paul will not play this podcast because he found out I'm not a monthly donor or he th- <laughs> thinks I'm too awful of a parent. I'm afraid that my son's ADHD is a natural evolution of humans and I'm actually hindering him by medicating him. I fear that I will truly lose my shit one day and beat my children or say something that hurts them so badly it changes our relationship forever. Thank you for those. That was a great list. Uh, Let's go to loves. Okay. Rose's first love is I love a clear night sky where every star is visible. Oh, that's amazing. I love the microbrews and the coffees of the Northwest. Yes. Mm. I love the Northwest. I mm-hmm. love it. I love after a moment without rain in the summer, there's a huge thunderstorm that lasts all day. Mm. I love the feeling after a, a good workout or good sex with a love-trusted partner. I love the Twilight Saga. It saved my life. Wow. <laughs> wow. wow. That, that's interesting because I think a lot of people go, you know, there there is literally no other series of films that are more vapid than right. than that. But, you know, I suppose everybody has, has something that moves them. Right. Maybe it just distracted her enough to get through a rough time, too. Yeah. Um, I love listening to the true belly laughs of my kids. That's going to be nice. Oh, it's amazing. Uh, I love wet cat noises. I'm not sure what the, what that what that is. <laughs> wet cat noises. Wet cat noises. Huh. Interesting. Um, I love watching a lightning storm from the comfort of my bed in complete darkness. Oh, that's a great one. Mm-hmm. I love when animals have their tongues hanging out of their mouths. I do, too. <laughs> I love drinking a pot of good coffee and staying in my PJs until noon and not feeling guilty about it. I like that. Uh, I love shaking my ass during a rap song. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> I love having a good meal with a close friend and feeling like my soul has been renewed afterwards from unloading all the shit I have been carrying around in my wagon. Uh, I love cleaning alone while listening to music. Hmm. I love laughing so hard my mouth hurts from smiling and my abs hurt the next morning. Wow, that is a good laugh. I can't even remember the last time that happened to me. Uh, You know what movie I've been watching uh, recently? I recorded it, and I've just been watching it in pieces. I Mm -hmm. think it might be the best comedy ever. Really? Lost in America with Albert Brooks and Julie Haggerty. You you have to be an Albert Brooks fan. Um, It's not your average comedy, but he, nobody plays failure and getting shit on <laughs> as good as him it, it is just it's genius it's comedy genius that's There's, someone that can really laugh at themselves then 
Oh, he's he just nobody writes dialogue the, the way he does. It's so he's just such an underrated actor too. Mm. Such an underrated actor. Um uh her last one is I love sliding across the floor in my socks. Oh, that's awesome. I love when I speak from my heart and someone looks at me and says, "Thank you. I needed to hear that." I love the way my fiance and I communicate even though uh, they may be tough subjects and how he is so quick to forgive. And my last one is I love a nap in a hammock on a warm, breezy summer day. Joy, thank you so much for uh, coming and sharing. Thank you, and, Paul. And um, keep up the good work. And I know thank that you. anybody listening to this episode is really rooting, rooting for you and rooting for Veronica. She sounds yeah. like a, a really, really great kid. She and is. I, I hope um I hope she finds peace with this with this stuff i do too i do too i I hope that we've caught her early early enough to help her struggle so and i'm rooting for any parents that are going through this reach out yeah and uh post in the forum um talk to other people Mm -hmm. you know reach out for professional help but uh there's so many people that can probably no matter what you're going through there's so many people that will be able to relate to it it's Mm -hmm. part of the challenge is finding them yeah thanks joy thank you Many, many thanks to uh, to Joy for that. I hope uh, I hope you guys got as much out of that as I did, especially any parents out there who are uh, struggling to raise a kid who who lives with uh, with mental illness or uh, or some type of uh, trauma in their past. Um, got an update on uh, on Joy and her family, which I'll read in a second. Uh, we taped this back in November, and since then. Uh, I've learned that you can call 211 from um, most cell phones. It doesn't have to be a landline. So yay to anybody under 70. And uh, also um, the Toronto, I mentioned I'm going to be speaking in Toronto, but um, that uh, that happened a while back. That was the episode with uh, Scott Thompson. Anyway, um, update from Joy. Uh, Kylie is back living with us after living with her adopted mom for about six months. She is currently struggling with a deep depression and horrible nightmares about things she says seem familiar, but yet she can't quite remember. We have her in weekly counseling and are trying to find the right mix of meds. We are hoping she can back, get back on track soon as she took the pre-SATs and scored in the top 10% in the nation and could be up for scholarships. Veronica is doing wonderfully. I'd be lying if I told you everything is perfect. However, every day there is hope and that is so much more than there was even a year ago. She has a new boyfriend and she said the other day that she really thinks he is the first boy who has liked her for her as she is. This has given her new hope and she is lovable. Um that she is lovable just the way she is. I pray this boy doesn't break her heart, but if he does, I hope she uses her healthy coping skills to make it through. Jason and I are getting married in about three weeks. I graduate in June with my bachelor's and currently applying for grad school. I continue to work full-time as well, uh, so life is definitely still a balancing act. Jason was just diagnosed with fibromyalgia. We are happy that he has finally been able to put a name to his pain and fatigue, and we are learning how to manage it better. I believe that Veronica and my family are solid examples of how consistency, love, strength, understanding, and the proper mental health care can truly save a young life and a family. That is not to say we are perfect uh, now because honestly with mental illness it is never over. It does not disappear. It takes a lot of dedication, proper health management, a lot of therapy, and a solid support system to make a difference and keep moving forward. 
My children, Jason and I, continue to attend counseling, and we continue family therapy as well. We continue to grow and strengthen. At times, it is not easy, but seeing the end result makes all the struggle worth it. Um, before I get to the surveys, I want to remind you there's a couple of different ways to support the um, the podcast. Right now, I'm having my perfectionist angst moment, worrying that people who are regular listeners are so fucking tired of hearing me read the boilerplate things. But um, I know you support me and you support the show, and it's just in my mind. And you have a fast-forward button. Uh, you can go to the website, mentalpod.com. Mentalpod is also the Twitter handle um, you can follow me at. Uh, it's also my CB handle. You uh, go to the website. You can either make a one-time PayPal donation or a recurring monthly donation. And God bless those of you that are recurring monthly donors and transcribers. Uh, uh, I really, really appreciate it. It's the financial foundation that keeps this show running. Uh, you can sign up to be a monthly uh, donor for as little as five bucks a month. Super easy to to fill out the the deal. You can also support us by uh, searching through our Amazon search portal. If you're going to go buy something at Amazon, enter through our homepage, and we get a couple of nickels. It doesn't cost you anything. You can also support us by going to iTunes, giving us a good rating. That boosts our ranking, and that brings more people to the show, which is really nice. And um, you can spread the word through social media. That's greatly, greatly appreciated. All right, let's get to the surveys. This is filled out, uh, this is from Shame and Secret Survey, filled out by a guy who calls himself not a real doc. And he is straight in his 40s, raised in a pretty dysfunctional environment, was the victim of sexual abuse and never reported it. Uh, I was sexually abused by a cousin on the weekends. Um, It was nice that he took the week off to uh, abuse you on the weekends. Um, On the weekends, we would go and visit. He also molested his sisters and also made us all do things together. He was a great manipulator. And it wasn't until I was an adult that I realized the magnitude of what went on. As an adult, uh, he was convicted and sent to jail for molesting his own daughters. He died in prison in a horrible way with Huntington's disease. Uh, I still don't feel sad for him. Uh, He has not been uh, physically or emotionally abused. Uh, He writes, there are lots of things to tell. An abusive alcoholic father. I'm sorry. He has been physically abused and emotionally abused. There are lots of things to tell. An abusive alcoholic father, a mother who was an enabler, sexually abused by a cousin, so I don't really feel that damn good about it. I'm a tough person and a survivor, and I do know I will not let this shit defeat me ever. Any positive experiences with your abusers? Yes, my father was still just that. My dad. It is hard to want to hate your dad, and there were times of great joy, but overall, as a father, he sucked. Darkest thoughts. I think about sex all the time. With teen girls, co-eds, grandmothers, anyone that is remotely attractive. All kinds of kinky. Sex, BDSM, anal sex, spanking, choking, piss. Deepest, darkest secrets. I've had numerous affairs to get the sex and attention my wife will never give me at home. I love her dearly and want to get help so I don't lose everything I have in this world that means anything to me. Sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. Uh, I think think we went over that. Um, What, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? I want to tell my wife more. I'm truly afraid to open up and let her see inside me. I feel I'm not worthy or she will run away when she knows what goes on in my head. Um, 
I think marriage counseling or maybe counseling um, on your own first and then maybe joint counseling when your therapist or social worker feels you're ready. Have you shared these things with others? Uh, I've had counseling, oh, there we go, and have a friend I used to talk uh, to about these things. I really need to go to counseling again and get help. I told my brother and sister-in-law and they were supportive to a degree. Nothing has ever been said about it after and they are so preoccupied in their world to care about someone else. How do you feel after writing this stuff down? It's been hard, but it made me realize I was really uh, thinking. Made me realize I was really thinking them. Oh, thinking the thoughts, not just hiding them from myself. Thank you so much for that. This is uh, same survey filled out by a woman who calls herself Did Bake Naked. She's straight in her 20s, um, raised in a slightly dysfunctional environment, never been sexually abused. Um, she has been emotionally abused. Growing up, the only way I could spend time that I wanted so badly with my mother is if she could use me as an excuse to compulsively shop and spend money she didn't have. While we would go shopping, when I didn't need anything, my mother would lay it on real thick. She would tell me everything that she wasn't happy with in her life, mostly my father, and she would speak to me like I was the best friend she never had. She still doesn't have close friends. Then she would treat me to ice cream. When my dad finally did something for her to really complain about, cheat on her, it was her time to shine. She made sure I knew every detail of her misery. Uh, by the way, that is covert uh, abuse. That is emotional incest. Um, it's been nine years since that happened. I went home recently after moving across the country, and I had one day to spend quality time with my mother. All day, she would barely talk to me, besides in the form of complaining about her surroundings. When I asked her what was really going on, she unleashed once again for for three hours how my father still makes her miserable and how awful it was he cheated on her. Uh, which was nine years ago. Wow. She is a ruminator. Being so far away, it's easy for me to believe the idealistic versions I have in my head of my mother. That's why it's so hard every time I go home and I see there really is no relationship between us. It's just me reacting to her wants and needs all the time. Um, if you haven't done so yet... Oh, she did read the uh, mini-episode, Co-Narcissism. Um, anybody that relates to what she just described listen to that mini episode it will uh, definitely make you feel less alone any positive experiences with your abusers i know that there are some but i just had the realization that my mother is a narcissist last night and i'm still in the mind blown stage and i can't think of positive moments right now deepest darkest thoughts i was walking my dogs and i heard an entire room of six or seven people singing in unison uh, to a happy beatles song in that moment i hated them all so much I love singing, but I wanted it to stop. I, I I hate those moments when you're in a really dark place and you see like kids running around you laughing and playing and you just think, how are we on the same planet? How are these two things happening at the same time? That's what I thought was so powerful about that moment in uh, 12 Years a Slave. If, you, if you've seen that movie, you know the moment that I'm talking about. It was uh, so... I don't even know the word for it. I'm at a loss for words. Now, deepest, darkest secrets. I masturbated a lot as a child. The first time that I can remember masturbating was when I was uh, four or five. My brother, age nine to ten, had a back massager plugged into the wall in our living room. No one was home. 
He was using it on his penis and then handed it to me. He told me it felt good. I used it immediately. I loved that feeling. From then on, any time I was alone as a kid, there was only one thing I was doing. Also, that is the only weird situation I had with my brother. We were both young, and although it's confusing to me still, I imagine this is an abuse. I never felt negative about it uh, at the time, although I knew it had to be kept a secret. Sexual fantasies most powerful to you. I love the idea of being kind of abused by multiple men and having extremely rough sex. I would like it even more if it was rougher than I was comfortable with. What, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? To both of my brothers, do you have the same issues with our mother too? I need to feel like I'm not alone or if I truly was the scapegoat. Uh, I have to say the conversations I've had with my brother about my mom, who's also a narcissist, um, have been very comforting. It's uh, it's really nice to know that uh, I'm not making it up. And if I have any, have any questions, I can always ask my wife, who has been telling me the truth for 25 years. Um, and I just recently started to listen to her, or I should say really truly believe her. Um, what, if anything, do you wish for? I want to have a conversation that goes both ways with my mother. Yeah, good luck. I want her to know that I, I am not just what my failure and successes, uh, as she deems, are. Uh, I, let me save you some pain. Don't waste your time because most narcissists cannot see that they are narcissists. And you were just pulling that wound open again. I, I would encourage you to uh, create some distance between yourself and her and feed your soul um, by connecting to people that do see you and hear you and feel you and can have a two-way conversation. Have you shared these things with others? I talk to my boyfriend all the time. He is so caring that it is difficult for me to understand sometimes. How do you feel after writing this down? I feel a little bit relieved and a little bit anxious. Anything you'd like to share with someone who shares your thoughts or experiences? That emotional abuse is real, even if it's not excessive. My pain is real and it's important to process it. Yeah, and I would say, Abuse and neglect, the absence of things that a parent should give to a child, in my in my mind, is abuse. You know, even if they didn't have the tools to give it to you, that's not. It's not about blaming them. It's about you healing from that that lack in your life. This is from an awful. This is an awfulsome moment, and. I want to urge all of you guys to fill out more awfulsome moments and more happy moments, um, especially moments that aren't um, about poo and pee. Um, That seems to be the only ones I'm getting lately, and those are fine, but um, I really like the, like there was one I read a month or so ago where I, parents had shown up to a sporting event for some somebody, a football game for this kid, and they'd never seen it before. And they said, "Oh, we didn't realize that that was you uh, out there." You know, I'm paraphrasing, running with the ball because you looked so coordinated. Those are the awfulsome moments to me. Those are the ones that I really like, are the emotional ones, not the being embarrassed because you, you know, you know what I'm saying. I'm not, not going to go on any longer. And now I'm going to read one about P. Uh, I was an, on an 800-mile solo car ride to attend the father-daughter. I'd been drinking Coke Zeros for the whole trip out of 20-ounce plastic bottles and was listening to the po- podcast to pass the time. 
Wanting to make better time, I decided peeing into an empty pop bottle would save me some time. I was intently listening to episode 157, and at 7.10 in, I decided to take a sip of Coke. Well, you guessed it. Uh, I, I drank from the wrong bottle. Just as the words, and speaking of disgusting and painful, came out of your mouth, the warm piss hit my tongue. Needless to say, I spit it out and started to feel disgusted, but instead just laughed at the timing. Thank you for that. Oh, and he calls himself Garcia fan, if I didn't uh, read that. This is from uh, the babysitter survey filled out by a woman who calls herself Dinah Dork. She is gay. She's in her 30s, raised in a pretty dysfunctional environment. And she writes, uh, I was age four. Uh, and my babysitter, who was probably age 14 to 16, brought me upstairs to show me his saxophone. I don't like the sound of that already. Um, he told my siblings to stay downstairs. I went with him. I loved how shiny the instrument was, and the lining inside the case was soft and furry. I don't know how it went from looking at a saxophone to oral sex, but it did. He performed oral sex on me and made me do the same for him. I don't remember much else. I didn't tell anyone at the time because I didn't realize it was wrong. My parents never explained about good touch and bad touch. I didn't realize until I was older how wrong it was. When I was 15, I told my mother, but she didn't believe me. Oh, that, that saddens and pisses me off to no fucking end. Um, we never talked about it again. I had a very strong aversion to receiving oral sex for a very long time. Uh, I am sad for my four-year-old self. No child should be sexualized at that age. I'm not angry about it. I realize that teenage boy was likely sexually abused as a child as well. I hope he has sought therapy and no longer abuses children. Wow, it is sound. It sounds like you have done so much work on yourself to to get to that to get to that point. And um, I encourage people who are having trouble feeling compassion for themselves or wonder whether or not it was inappropriate what happened to you, um, look at a picture of yourself from the age that it happened. And um, that usually is enough to let you know how heavy it is. Um, it was definitely not innocent and natural. Uh, damage was certainly done. It hit me hardest when my twin daughters approached the age I was when I was abused. Seeing my own children reach age three and four, I realized how small, helpless, and innocent I was at that age. That's when I sought therapy for the first time. And now I can speak freely about my experience without getting upset or being triggered. That is awesome. Thank you so much for that. I just never never get tired of hearing people come out the other side of things. This is uh, Shame and Secrets filled out by a guy who calls himself Every and he's straight he's 18, raised in a pretty dysfunctional environment, never been sexually abused but has been physically and emotionally. My dad used to beat my mom, my brother and I. He'd shout at us and mistreat us and every now and then if he had been yelling, he'd keep us from turning on TVs or listening to music just so the heavy atmosphere he created would haunt us and scare us. Wow. That is heavy. If you have been abused, are there... He sounds like such a control freak. If you have been abused, are there positive experiences with the abusers? 
There are very few positive experiences, and I remember him occasionally being a supportive and caring father who'd sometimes let us do what we wanted, and he'd take us places just so me and my brother would have fun. I'm grateful for that, but the negative experiences definitely outweigh the positive ones. Deepest, darkest thoughts. I used to have fantasies about raping women. While I was still in school, I'd walk there and see houses with the front door open. Inside, there'd be women sitting around watching TV or doing chores, and I would daydream about running into the house, grabbing them, and raping them. This lasted for months, and it's needless to say that I hated myself more than anyone in this world. I've never acted upon these thoughts, but I still feel gross when I remember I used to be a potential rapist. Whenever I'm depressed, down, or simply sad, I feel like I'm this unlovable sack of shit that no one wants to be around or talk to, and this makes it really difficult for me to reach out for help or support. On top of that, whenever I feel undesirable, I desperately need people to validate my feelings and take care of me, and that makes me not only a depressive person, but a clingy, insecure, depressive person. This started years ago, but I feel like no one is ever going to love me. Ever since I started falling deeper into, into depression, issues with my mental health and feelings of unworthiness, I feel like no one is going to look at me and think, that is the person I want to spend my life with. I know it's false, since I've seen friends of mine who have it worse than I do be in happy, yet not completely functional relationships, and they could do all I've ever dreamed of and more. But it's been five or six years since this phase has been bouncing around in my head for what seems like forever. No one is ever going to love you. And I would remind you that you are 18 years old. And anybody who has lived through those years knows to not give too much credence, though it was painful at the time, to not give too much credence to how your life is going to progress based on what has happened already. Uh, darkest secrets. I've sniffed the panties of one of my cousins while I was at a family vacation. I masturbate in the same room as my brother sleeps. I don't do anything with him, though. Ew. Uh, I hid my mom's chocolates from her and stashed them in my room. I don't really like chocolate, but I do eat some of them every now and then. While I was at a sleepover with a friend and he was asleep, I snooped into his computer and tried to find incriminating pictures or files. Sexual fantasies. Most powerful to you, I often fantasize about other males having sex with people I'm emotionally close with or love. I fantasize about having a bigger penis, since I'm really insecure of my own. I fantasize about meeting someone who is really shy and a prude and turning them into a sexual deviant. What, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? I wish we could talk. Not like we used to, but at least maintain contact. It would be great to know about you and how you are doing. I'm sorry about the things I've done, and I still love you. I just want to talk to you and know about you. What, if anything, do you wish for? To stop feeling so shitty right now. And I wish that my recovery process um, doesn't come to a halt and I stay this fucked up for the rest of my life. If you work on recovering, I guarantee you will not. I've never met anybody who put a lot of work into um, re recovery um, stay stay stuck it may not go at the rate that they wished it would but um they make progress and sometimes that progress is is hard to see have you shared these things with others i've shared a few of my deepest darkest secrets and thoughts and some of my sexual fantasies i've only received either positive feedback or a neutral response i'm glad i've never been judged or insulted how do you feel after writing this down a bit lighter maybe better i haven't shared much of these things before it's relieving 
anything you'd like to share with someone who shares your thoughts or experiences. If you feel unlovable, don't. If you need to reach out, do it. Don't rape women. That, that's, a pretty good, uh, that's a pretty good basic uh, tenet to live by. Um, or people in general. Rape is bad. And please stop feeling so bad about your genitalia. It's probably better than you think. Exclamation point. Thank you for that, Every. This is the same survey filled out by a woman who calls herself um, Sweet Bree. She is straight in her 20s, raised in a totally chaotic environment, was the victim of sexual abuse and never reported it. A guy I dated was very pushy and aggressive with sex, not to mention he was also always drunk. So one time he was being very persistent, even after I repeatedly said no, and I remember distinctly saying, if you do this, this is rape, and he continued. He was so drunk that he peed the bed afterward and basically forced me to lay there in this disgusting bed full of pee next to him. He sounds like a keeper. Wow. I like how I make fun when I get really uncomfortable. Um, wow. Um, just sending you a hug. Uh, have you ever been physically or emotionally abused? Been emotionally abused. I was severely emotionally abused by my mom and dad. I remember, remember my dad going into rages and calling me a bitch and a cunt as early as eight years old. Uh, his rages really had no rhyme or reason. He was a severe alcoholic who later took his own life, so I suspect the mood swings were f- from his being hungover or not having his his drink, not having his buzz on. Uh, my mom was also a name caller. If things didn't go her way, I would get screamed at and kicked out of the house. I remember one time she started throwing my stuff outside on the lawn and screaming profani- profanities at me so loud that all my neighbors came outside to see what was happening. I was humiliated. Any positive experiences with the abusers? I had fun times. I loved my mom and dad both. I was a daddy's girl. I went everywhere with him until he passed away. My mom was more like a sister to me, so we always had girl talk and would talk about stuff for hours. It makes me realize how immature she was. We were literally like teenagers together. Darkest thoughts, that I fucked up this lifetime and that I will have to wait until next lifetime to get things right because this one was a waste, hopeless. Darkest secrets, I was molested by my aunt when I was three or four. It did not last long. She was very young herself, maybe 12. I also remember inappropriately touching a younger girl when I was nine. I felt terrible about it, like a disgusting criminal, even though I was only a child myself. Sexual fantasies, Uh, Nothing too crazy. Anything where the guy is aggressive and takes control, but not in the rape sense or S&M stuff. Just aggressive. Makes me feel like I am boring. (laughs) LOL. Uh, What would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? I would tell my mom and dad, fuck you, and that it's all their fault. I haven't told them that because I can't. I don't speak to my mom and my dad is dead, but I need to get out of the victim mentality either way. What, if anything, do you wish for? To let go, to be free, to be content, to feel love. I am very lonely and depressed, and the one thing I want in this lifetime is love. It has been a non-existent fairy tale for my entire life. Something that I see in the movies, something other people have, but not me. By the way, I highly encourage people who feel like that to not watch romantic comedies. That, to me, is like a sex addict looking at pornography. It is... 
a fantasy that just reinforces uh, those feelings of loneliness and unworthiness. Um, I don't even know what a relationship would feel like anymore. I am 28, educated, very attractive, and had have had several short-term flings, but I haven't been in a relationship for seven years. Um, I actually like to backtrack and say most romantic comedies. There occasionally are ones that I think are done in a way that is real. Um, I thought that movie The Breakup with uh, Jennifer Aniston and Vince Vaughn was a pretty realistic... um, uh, And I guess it would be considered a romantic comedy, but... um, that was the first one that I saw where I went, that is like a real um, relationship. And I suppose because it didn't end, um, well, I won't say how it ends. <laughs> um, I like to to not have, um, uh, what is the word for it, um, spoilers on movies that are over 10 years old. Have you shared these things with others? Yes, but I just feel whiny and complainy. It doesn't really help. What would help is if someone who fucking loved me, damn it, um, and not say that you will find love when you love yourself, cliche bullshit. How do you feel writing this down? Angry. The more I think about it, the more I realize I have a lot of anger related to these issues. How would you, what would you like to share to someone who shares your thoughts or feelings? You are not alone. Let me second that. Any comments to make the podcast better? I would encourage you to share other types of therapy, not just support groups or talk therapy. Yoga, exercise, laugh therapy, I don't know, anything but the same old stuff. It's always nice to hear new ideas. I would second that. Did you hear my nose just whistle? That was kind of nice. Um, yeah, uh, I don't do yoga, but uh, exercise does help me, and meditation definitely, definitely helps me. Um I suppose why I harp on uh, talk therapy and support groups so much is that is where I had the breakthroughs. I've never had um, really profound breakthroughs um, through exercise or meditation. Um, I've certainly had profound moments, but the emotional breakthroughs have, have happened from talking. Shame and Secrets survey filled out by a guy who calls himself Weir Lion 78 He is in his 30s, raised in a stable and safe environment, never been sexually abused. Um, not sure if he's been physically or emotionally abused. Being born three months premature met a lot of stress early on in my life. Spent the first year in a hospital being visually impaired. Even by age seven, I was still having accidents and bedwetting problems, partly because I didn't like using public restrooms for whatever reason. Anyway, this led my mom to put me back into diapers. This had a profound effect on me, the opposite of the desired intent. I don't think the diapers lasted that long, but by the end, I wanted to wear them. This is a direct link to why I have a diaper fetish slash lifestyle. Darkest thoughts, having sex with a lion or running around in public in nothing but a diaper, just to do something crazy but not harmful. Darkest secrets, I feel like I need diapers for emotional stability. Without them for long periods of time, I get anxious and eventually depressed. I wear them now close to um, uh, 24-7. I'm also a furry, a lion to be exact. I have a tail that I like to wear sometimes, but it's funny that it's easier wearing diapers on a daily basis than wearing my lion tail. Uh, Oh, it also uh, qualifies as being uh, asexual. Uh, 
fantasy is most powerful to you. When it comes to people or relationships, that doesn't interest me. I'm fine with my fetishes. Diapers turn me on and lions turn me on, especially watching them mate. I think of myself as a lion, possibly having been one in a past life. That's why I consider myself uh, a therian slash furry. I don't know what therian is. T-H-E-R-I-A-N, but I'm sure I will get some emails filling me in, Um, which is the only way I can explain my affinity for lions getting to the point of sexual attraction. I would never admit this to other furs or therians, but it's just that, a fantasy. What, if anything, do you wish for? That people be more open-minded when it comes to other lifestyles. Uh, Have you shared these things with others? After many years of keeping my diaper interests a secret, I told my mom recently, and she's more understanding of it, but she still doesn't fully get it. Overall, it went better than expected. Good for you for uh, for doing that. How do you feel after writing this down? Good. Anything you'd like to share with someone else? To anyone into diapers or as a furry or both, you are not alone. Thank you for that, weird lion. Um, and if you haven't listened to it, uh, listen to the episode with listener D. I think you'll uh, definitely relate to, to his story. This is an awful moment filled out by a woman who calls herself uh, Isarella. She is uh, under 18. Uh, I remember when my parents picked me up from play rehearsals. I worked really hard for months and I dedicated myself to this play. During this time, uh, I'd gotten unusually good grades, so my parents wanted to reward me. They'd gotten me concert tickets to my favorite band ever. Anyways, while we were driving home, I asked when I'd be going to the concert. They said they got two tickets for the 11th. My eyes widened, impending doom surrounded me. That was the day of the play. I wanted to so badly jump out of the car and die. I started crying and flailing my arms. I felt like I couldn't breathe. All I could think of is how it's all my fault. My parents wasted all that money on me. So when we got home, my parents went to bed and I began to rummage in the medicine cabinets, swallowing everything in sight. I ended up throwing up all over myself and getting a terrible pain in my head and abdominals. And the next day when my dad woke me up, he told me he got the dates wrong and the concert was actually the 12th. Thank you for that. Uh, this is from the Shame and Secrets, filled out by a guy who calls himself Gam. Uh, he is straight, in his 20s, raised in a slightly dysfunctional environment, never been sexually abused, not sure if he's been physically or emotionally abused. Uh, darkest thoughts, uh, depends. Date, uh, rape fantasy, um, both doing and being. Um, I guess that's it. Read more in the next box. Darkest Secrets. When I was 15, I saw a naked picture of my mother. She had aged a bit since the picture was taken, but still a relatively attractive woman. I masturbated to that picture. Afterward, I felt terrible and listened to sad folk music for about an hour. Um, By the way, if you're going to jerk off to your mom, I recommend listening to the sad folk music while you're doing it. Why not double up? Double down on the shame and the sadness. Um... I listened to sad folk music for about an hour while promising myself it was gross and I would never do it again. About a week later, it happened again while I was doing it in the shower. Again, I said it was the last time. 
but I would get so hard when thinking about having sex with my mother that I kept doing it. To make matters worse, I still live with my mother and will occasionally sleep in the same bed as her. Once I even masturbated while looking at my mom sleeping in bed after she took a sleep aid, going so far as to put my penis inches from her mouth. I would like to stop thinking uh, my own mother was so hot, but even writing these things make me aroused, and in all honesty, I will probably masturbate in this fashion after I finish this survey. Well, first of all, I want to give you a big hug and um, and encourage you to, um, first of all, talk to somebody, um, a professional, about this, and to say, don't feel shame about what you masturbate to. But really look at um, the crossing that physical boundary. Uh, you know, it, it might it it would be so traumatizing for your mom to wake up and to to see you know you having your penis out really really close to her. And anyway, I know you know that that's not an okay thing to to do. Um, I just wonder what what's going on inside you because you know it's not about your mom being hot in my opinion it's it's about something something else underneath there um sexual fantasy is most powerful to you fucking my own mom also being raped uh, by transsexuals or raping women i wouldn't act on any of these unless a future girlfriend was into rape fantasies and how does it make me feel? The first one, awful. The second one, awful. The last one, a little bad. But knowing that some ladies are into pre-agreed upon rape play makes me think it's a little okay. Uh, what would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? I'm sorry. To my brother for calling him retarded once. I just needed a hug. Uh, to my ex-girlfriend, um, uh, we never hugged and not by my choice. Um you know, it sounds to me like underneath is just such a really, really deep need to, to connect, but feeling isolated and and um, rejected. And, you know, I, I think most acts of se- sexual compulsion aren't about the sex. It's about trying to avoid the feelings that are overwhelmingly sad or painful. What, if anything, do you wish for to stop wanting to fuck my mom? It really puts a strain on your moral compass and a lot of money um, to get an apartment. Um, have you ever shared these things with other? Uh, that's Ivy, by the way. Herbert's in the other room. Ivy likes to bark at anything. Literally, she hears a twig snap three yards away. It's barking for five minutes. Uh, have you shared these things with others? No. Because who? My friends? They'll think I'm weird. My mom? Fuck no. How do you feel after writing these things down? Horny for some reason and like I should see a shrink. Yeah, I would encourage um, a therapist because I think they're better at talk therapy than than most um, uh, than psychiatrists. Although therapists can't prescribe meds and psychiatrists can. And, uh, and by the way, there's a great article that a social worker um, sent me that I posted on the website about what's the difference between psychologists and social workers. And uh, in a nutshell, any person with a, um, any, any psychologist can do therapy, or those, although some are not equipped to it because they're more of scientific psychologists than 
talk therapy psychologist, but not all social not all social workers can uh, administer therapy. Um, there's three types of social workers. There's um, uh, what is it? Uh, bachelor uh, B BSW. Uh, they cannot uh, do talk therapy, um, but those with masters or PhDs in social work can administer um, talk therapy. And I believe I got that right. And if I didn't, go fuck yourself. Finally, uh, this is a happy moment filled out by a woman who calls herself J.M. Friday. And her happy moment, I was living with my aunt during my last semester in college, and it was very stressful. We always knew she was not the best and had always been a difficult person. But it was through living there that I finally came to the realization that she may be mentally ill and possibly a drug addict. Everything came to a head when I came down with mono and was trying to work two jobs, go to school, and maintain a really stressful relationship with my first boyfriend. No one believed I was sick, including my boyfriend. The only one who cared and believed was my mother, but she was an hour away, which seemed like she was on the other side of the world. The final straw was an episode where I was pretty sure my aunt had over-medicated and sent me on a wild goose chase for takeout food, and I knew I had to leave. I called my mom so stressed and sick. She dropped everything, came in the middle of the night, packed up all my stuff while my aunt slept, and snuck me out. This was a very unique and empowering moment for my mother and I because we are the type to always stick things out and make ourselves believe that everything isn't as bad as it seems. It was a rare, beautiful moment of empowerment for us, and I could feel my mother's love for me radiating off her. I will treasure that midnight drive home forever. Love, love the happy moment that moves me, and I know it moves you too. Oh my God, I was rubbing my nipples again. What the fuck? What makes me do that? (laughs) Actually, it was more of I was rubbing my chest. Unlike two episodes ago where I was literally with my middle fingers rubbing circles around my nipples. (laughs) That is a beautiful moment to end on. If you're out there and you're feeling stuck, just know that there is help and know that you are not alone. And thank you so much for listening. Everybody I know is bizarrely beautiful. Everybody I know is bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird way. Bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird way.